church, we invite you to stay and vote. Actually, everyone's welcome to stay and be a part of it, uh, but members will be the ones that ha- are voting afterwards. And uh, if you've gone to a membership class, but you were still kind of deciding, then you have uh, you fulfilled the, re- the requirement. You know uh, what's going on. And if you're ready to say, yeah, um, I, I want to be a member, I've gone to the class and stuff, then, then uh, you may stay and-, and vote as well. So that happens right afterwards. But I would tell you, could you go get your kids after the last song and then come back? Um, because uh, I live with the, ki- the, the kids' director back there, and uh, I know what I'll hear later. So, uh, but also, we want to let those teachers be able to come in, in here and be a part of that as well. So if you would, right after the last song, head back. Now, you don't have to leave during the last song, all right? So, but at the end of the last song, you can go back and get them, and uh, we'll linger for a few minutes, and then, and then we'll, uh, we'll do that afterwards. So it'll be, be good. So. Good. Well, let's uh, jump into it this morning. If you happen to get in and you did not get uh, one of the sermon notes, if you slip up your hand, and um, Richard's not here this morning, but, uh, but Pat is filling in, so, uh, and that's uh, great. So uh, slip up your hand, and uh, he'll get you one. Wow. How about that? An applause for that. Nobody? Everyone got one coming in? That's amazing. So that is incredible. Man, the greeters did an incredible job this morning. All right, let's see him. How many got your Bible with you this morning? Oh. Oh, all right. We're hovering somewhere around the same number. It's like, you know, we had it and we've tapered off a little bit. So I encourage you, bring your Bible with you. Each week, we're going to really jump into it every week, uh, walking through this. And this week, we're going to be walking through uh, a little bit of this guy, Joshua. Now, this is a huge story time. I mean, this spans a, a bit here, all right? Um, so we can't possibly hit every single thing. So let me give you a kind of a brief recap, because some of you already are sitting there and you're going, Wait a second, last week we kind of left off with Moses going and speaking to Pharaoh and the plagues came and then they were released. Um, and now you're jumping all the way to Joshua. What happened uh, during those times? Uh, well, uh, even though we will kind of be skipping it and moving on and not hitting everything, the good news is your Bible has it. You don't have to wait for your pastor to preach a sermon on it. You can open it up and actually read this book, and uh, it tells the whole story about it. But, uh, but there is this mass exodus, and the, the people, the, the Israelites, they come out of Egypt. They get across the Red Sea in, in a miraculous event where God parts the sea, and now they're on the other side, now free and clear of Egypt altogether, completely broke off from the yoke of slavery, and now they're out in the wilderness, and they're headed to the promised land. That was God's intent the whole time for Moses to lead his people into the promised land, right? And so they're out there, and they're on their way. Now, if you are somebody who um, you happen to struggle with the, uh, uh, call it a gift of complaining, uh, maybe, <laughs> where, you know, it's for seemingly uh, that uh, you feel like the need, uh, knee-jerk-wise, to offer your opinion, often maybe in the negative, or uh, uh, um, this would probably be a good story for you to jump in and read what happened once they got into the wilderness, because we find that very, very quickly that the people started to be a little frustrated on what the wilderness had to offer. Uh, as they got out in this desert-type area, they learned that the, some of the things that they had back in Egypt were no longer available to them. They didn't have their little huts. They didn't have some of their meals they could prepare. And they kind of forgot that they were no longer slaves. And they focused more on those little uh, things that they no longer had when they were in the wilderness. And this, this culture of grumbling started to come into play here. And that was just kind of how they lived. Now, God worked in and provided for them while they were in the wilderness. He provided direction on where they would go and, and when they would get there. But he also provided food for them 
as well, but they struggled. One more thing that God provided that we often, from our side, we look back, and we look back, and we think of it kind of as a negative sometime, but it's far from it, is God provided the law why they were in the wilderness as well. You see, when God provided the law, we often look at the law of the Old Testament, and we think about it just as a list of do's and don'ts. Oh, well, here, here these religious people go again. Here's your list. But that's not what was going on. You see, God so loved his people that when they headed out of Egypt, they had been slaves for so long, they had no culture really of their own. And God was establishing a culture. He was establishing something different than what they had just come from. He was basically setting aside, consecrating his people in a different way. He also was giving them just ways to govern their lives. I was thinking uh, this week as I was preparing this, I was thinking if I took my, my kids, and uh, we, we do game night every once in a while, as some of you do, and I told them, we would like you to create your own game this week for game night. I want it to be totally different than any of the other games we played. As they created this game, there would be a requirement that they would need to create how the game is actually played, right? I mean, if they created some type of game board that looked really cool, and they said, okay, let's play, and I said, well, how do we play? I don't know. We didn't didn't really discuss that. (laughs) They would need to create a way on how you play this game. This is kind of what God is doing when he's offering the law, giving the law to him. And then there would need to be rules for this game, right, as well. You would need to know you can go this many spaces or not do this or do this or you roll a dice, you don't roll a dice. I mean, you would need to know uh, those type of rules. How do you actually win the game in the end? And they would have to write those in. If we said, well, what are the rules of the game? And they said, I I don't really have any idea. We might still try to play, but we would be making it up as we go. That's kind of fun sometimes, but wouldn't work for that game. That's what God is doing for his people when he puts the law into place. He's giving them a way to govern their lives, a way to treat each other fairly, a a way to deal with things that might come up in this large, large number of people. But the people grumbled uh, pretty hard. In fact, they grumbled to the point, we find this in in the book of Numbers, actually. Now, I know some of you are like, Numbers? You know, I've been staying away from that book because I don't like math. But there's actually narrative in the book of Numbers as well. There's story in there. And we find find in the book of Numbers that, that we find that the people are no longer going to be allowed to go into the promised land because of their complaining and because of their grumbling. They're not going to get to go in at all. Now, that would probably stink if that came down, that here you are, you were slaves, you finally got to go out, you get to make this journey to the promised land. That, that, that doesn't take too long, and you find that now you're not going to get to go in to it. In fact, you're just going to wander the wilderness for 40 years, and then you're going to die in the wilderness. I mean, think about the times when you have laid down a punishment uh, for your child. You said, you did this, you're going to get this. Has there ever been a time in that punishment where you're like, I hate that I have to hand down this punishment. I don't want to, to do this to my kid. You know, the circus is in town. I was thinking, if you had uh, circus tickets, and you had to tell your kid, look, you can't go to the circus because of what you did. I mean, just think about the wailing that would go uh, with your child. Think about it. I mean, it had to break God's heart to hand this down to the people that he just pulled out of slavery. But that's, that's a sentence. That's what came down. We also find in the book of Numbers that Moses himself is told that he is not going to lead the people into the promised land. You see, there was this one instance where God said for, asked him to prophesy or speak to a rock and Moses decided he'd kind of create his own plan, and he, he banged on the rock. And then as he was telling the people about this water that flowed out of the rock that would now be 
provision for them. They would have water to drink. He set it up like he was the one that did it and not God. And you may say, well, what's the big problem? One little thing, one little thing, and now he can't go into the promised land? I mean, it's done for him at this point? But remember the stories as we're working through it. There is this lower story of what's going on, the day-to-day lives of God's people, you and I included. And then there's this upper story of what God is teaching us. And think about the parallel of what one sin does in our life in separation from God. What one sin does to exclude us from eternal glory. And so you can see how this theme even plays out throughout the scripture here, how severe even one disobedience to God can be. And Moses is told here, you know, you're not going to lead the people into the promised land. I mean, think about now for Moses, as he is a guy that he was the one that went, spoke to the Pharaoh. He didn't want to do it, you know, he felt inadequate, but he went and he did it. He was the one that when Pharaoh said, yes, I'll let the people go, and then he went away and Pharaoh changed his mind. He had to go back 10 times and deal with Pharaoh. He's the one now leading this grumbling group into the desert. Have you ever led a grumbling group? Not a lot of fun, is it? He's leading this group, and now he's told you're not going to lead them into the promised land. Man, what a bummer for Moses here. And so they do wander in the wilderness. God provides uh, but at the end of that, uh, that time where they pass on and a new generation has come forth and then Moses comes, it's his time and he passes the torch on. He tells the people, look, I'm old now and I'm going to pass it on. I can't over, uh, no longer lead them. And Joshua takes over here to lead God's people, the Israelites in the wilderness. And then we find that Moses passes away at the end of the book of Deuteronomy. And then we find that Joshua takes over from that point and leads God's people. So if you got your Bible, open up. We're in Joshua. We're going to be in chapter 1. And uh, let's, take a look at, uh, let's take a look at what's going on with this story of Joshua. You see, we find in this story uh, that you're going to see that when Moses died, God wasted no time. <laughs> he pretty much right away went to Joshua and said, okay, Moses is gone. That generation is gone. Let's head into the wilderness. You know, sometimes we get promised things and then the time comes to pass for that thing to happen and whoever promised it might be, well, you know, I'm not quite sure we can pull that off. But I mean, God is right on the spot. He is ready to say, all right, Joshua, now let's go. Now think about this. This is not just getting comfortable in the wilderness for, you know, a week or two or having to deal with the wilderness for a week or two. This is 40 years of actually finding a way to get comfortable living in the wilderness. And now pack up, we're moving, we're heading on. And we're t- he's now talking to a group of people that, that they weren't the ones God originally talked to or they were the kids of who God had originally talked to. There might have taken a little convincing here, but God steps right in and says, Joshua, we're going, let's get going. And so in this, I think God teaches Joshua some clear lessons because as we find, Joshua is one of the greatest leaders of the Bible. And I think God teaches Joshua some lessons right away at the very beginning of his leadership as he sends him in. And I think there's lessons that would apply to us, whether you are leading like in a a business or something like that, or or whether it's just leading your own life. I think there's lessons to teach us. And so as we work through this, let's talk about these three lessons that I I picked up on. Maybe you'll find some more, but uh, let's take a look at it. Here's some lessons God teaches Joshua. If If you have your sermon notes, you can follow along there. The first one is this, is he says, God, these are all God speaking here. He says, I will be with you. Now, that's important. You might this morning say, well, that's, I understand that, Tom. You've said that in other, 
other characters in the story up till now. But this is really important that he's declaring to Joshua, I will be with you. Let's look at how he declares it, though. Take a look in your Bible, Joshua 1, verse 5 now. It says to him, No one will be able to stand up against you all the days of your life. Well, that's pretty nice. You know, I, I, I mean, if I walk through life knowing nobody could ever stand against me, that'd be pretty nice. That's what he tells Joshua there. As I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will never leave you nor forsake you. It's that small line of as I was with Moses that we should take note on on here. That when he says I was with Moses, now think back of the time with Moses. Think back when he appeared to Moses and he said to Moses, hey, I want you to go and do this. And Moses started down the line of excuses. We talked about it last week. But Moses said, look, I'm not adequate. I'm uninformed. I don't even know what to say. What if they call me a liar? You know, what, what do I do about that? I'm, I'm a little tongue-tied. I can't speak, Lord. I mean, that's what he's saying to him. And then finally he turns to God and says, look, I'm not available, God. I'm not available for your work. And we find that God keeps rebutting these things. He keeps coming at him with something. Finally, on that fifth excuse, I'm not available, he turns to him and he says, my anger burns against you, Moses. It says, as I was with Moses. You see, what he's declaring there is, look, when Moses was walking through his line of excuses, when we were having that interaction, I was with Moses. I was with him. And then we find that, that Moses goes out and, and Aaron is actually goes with Moses to kind of help him with this, this saga. And Aaron really wasn't a part of God's original plan, but, but Aaron goes. In fact, if you really want to go back and read the story, you'll find Aaron actually caused Moses a little bit of trouble. Oh, right? God was with Moses that whole time. When Moses went to the Pharaoh and he spoke to Pharaoh, and Pharaoh said, yeah, they can go, and then no, they can't go. And he had to keep going back. And surely Moses at some point had this frustration of, you know, when is this ever going to end, even though God had already spoke to him about this. God was with Moses the whole time, walking through those. And then they get out in the wilderness, right? And he's finally saying, what happened? Man, God, you, you did it. You know, I'm impressed. I wasn't sure we'd ever get here. And you're walking through, and now he's having to deal with grumbling and complaining. You know, up to maybe a million people got out there in the wilderness. And now he's listening to this grumbling and complaining over and over and over. If you hang out with one person who grumbles and complains continuously, you know, it, it makes you want to bash your head against the wall. Am I, am I not right? And Moses is dealing with this every day, coming from every side. And guess what? As I was with Moses... God was with him during that. That is a difficult, difficult situation. Was it Moses' fault they were grumbling and complaining? No. Did he have to take the brunt of it? Absolutely. He says, as I was with Moses, I was with you during those times. I was walking with you, Moses. And then Moses goes and he makes his own blunder in this situation. It wasn't his only blunder, if you want to read the story. But he makes this blunder to where God says, look, you're not going to lead the people into the promised land. It's not going to happen. I'll have somebody else do that. As I was with Moses, even in your shortcomings and in your failings, even when I had to turn to you and punish you, I'm with you. That is good news for you this morning. If this morning you were going through an incredibly difficult time and you had nothing to do with it, it just came upon you, health situation or job loss or or whatever it may be, the story of scripture this morning is God saying, I am with you, I'm with you. And if this morning you were the cause of it, your sin, your selfishness, your bad decision, and you're, you're living with the consequence of that every single day, trying to work yourself out of it, 
the story of scripture, just like Moses, is I am with you. I'm walking there with you. In fact, he, he is emphatic about it right afterwards when he says, I'll never leave you nor forsake you. Just like with Moses, who, who had to deal with adversity and then blew it himself, I was with him. I never left him. I never forsake him. In fact, really, the core of walking away from the God, it always rests in us. It's never God. He never goes on hiatus. He never leaves us. He never takes a vacation from us, a getaway from us. He never looks at you and just says, look, I've had it up to here. I mean, just how many times are you going to do that? He's always there available for us. And even in the midst of our, our punishment that sometimes comes at the hands of what we do, God is saying, as with Moses, I am with you. Take a look at, at, at uh, some of the stuff if you want to read this scripture here. Let me skip down um, to, uh, um, to verse uh, 4 here um, in, in, the, in the Deuteronomy. The Lord said to him, This is the land I promised as an oath to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob when I said, I will give it to your descendants. I have let you see it with your eyes, but you will not cross over into it. And that's what Moses is having to deal with. It's almost like, God, you know, God, why would you show me the land here? Because God's saying, look, I'm with you. I'm with you in all that you have to go through, all that you have to deal with. I'm with you. And Moses, look out at the land. Even though you won't be the one, I'm going to go before the group that you've led, the group that you've struggled with, that you've had to deal with, and I'm going to keep blessing that group. I'm going to keep blessing this generation and the next generation and on and on and on. God is saying, look, today I'm with you. Forevermore, I'm with you. That's a key lesson that God is sharing with Joshua at the very beginning of his leadership. He's saying to us, look, it doesn't matter what you're going through in life, how you're leading. If you're up against a wall, a few weeks ago we talked about delays that we go through. If you're in a delay, God is saying, I am with you. And sometimes it means that we have to evaluate. We have to honestly look, and it's, it's not always fun, but we have to turn and ask the question, is it me that turned away from God? Was I the one that said, God, you know, just step back. I'm, gonna, I'm, gonna, I'm just going to step away for right now, and I'm going to figure this out on my own. If I need you, I'll call on you. Because the words of Scripture this morning is, he's never left. He's there the whole time. And I would encourage you, if this morning you're taking inventory and say, man, that's what I've been doing. If not in your whole life, maybe in one particular area of your life, you just said, I, I put God on hold. I went after it. I just said, you know, take a break, God. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go this way. This would be a great morning. It'd be a great morning to turn back to him and just say, God, I reinvite you into this area of my life. Let us converse, as we talked about before, in this area. And, uh, and let's get back on track and share with me what you want to share with me. Here's a second lesson I think uh, Joshua uh, learned here at the very beginning. God's saying, get ready, get set, and go. Now, I gave you a little, uh, little indication earlier that the people had been in the wilderness long enough to put down roots and to figure out how to live. I mean, that's what we do really as humans, right? We learn how to adapt, right? And so in our situation, whatever we're going through, we figure out some way of how to live. And if they had just been traveling through the desert for a few weeks, it would have been pretty hard to, to you know, put down home and stuff. But now, after 40 years, I mean, these people are so locked in that this is home. This is our way of life. This is what, what we're going to live forever for the rest of our lives, for everything we know. In fact, it wouldn't, it wouldn't be surprising if some of them had forgotten the whole promised land speech altogether. 
and they were just claiming, this is, this is my address. This is where I'll be. This is what life will look like. And now God is saying to Joshua, time to get up and go. Take a look at it in Joshua 1, 11. It says, so Joshua ordered the officers of ordered the officers of the people. Go through the camp and tell the people, get your provisions ready. Three days from now, you will cross the Jordan here to go in and take possession of the land the Lord your God is giving you for your own. I mean, they're laying down home. And Joshua calls kind of the leaders together and says, three days, we're, we're heading. Pack it up. You know, take what you can bring. We're on our way. I mean, God wastes no time here coming to Joshua. He doesn't say, well, you know, we're going to work on a little edu- exit plan here. We're going to give you about six months to get your affairs in order and, and work this all through, get organized. He turns to Joshua and says, the task has been put on you now. It's time to get up, get ready, and, and go and head in. I mean, that's, a, that's a big deal for Joshua to now put on the people, but that's exactly what God's calling. I mean, do we have any precedence that they may have a hard time dealing with change? Well, absolutely. Take a look at at what it says there in uh, Exodus 16. In the desert, the whole community grumbled against Moses and Aaron. The Israelites said to them, if only we had died in the Lord's hand in Egypt. There we sat around pots of meat and ate all the food we wanted. But you have brought us into this desert to starve this entire assembly to death. They were slaves, let me remind you. The scripture says they were worked ruthlessly, is the word that the scripture says, that they were worked all throughout their day. You know, seemingly somewhere around a 15 or 16 hour day, they worked every day building for Pharaoh. And yet they got into the wilderness, didn't like what they were dealing with, and they looked back and said, oh, it was so wonderful. We had all the meat we wanted. We had all the food we wanted. We could do whatever we wanted. And now we're out here. It would have been better if we had just died over there in Egypt. So is there precedent, precedence that Joshua might deal with some grumbling? Absolutely. I mean, to go now into the land, you know, and, and as he goes into the land, the people could have said, well, it was so good out there in the wilderness, I mean, we made it pretty good. That manna was pretty awesome. You know, we got it every single day. Didn't even have to do anything, you know? So there's precedence that this could happen. Here's what else we know, is that when Moses, in the book of Numbers, Moses, when they get close, he sends some people into the promised land, some spies to check out what was going on. Twelve of them, do you remember this this story? Twelve spies that go into it. Um, And when they come back, 10 of the 12 give a negative report. 10 of the 12 says, Moses, there's no way we can take this land. It's not possible. And what does he say he, they see? What, what do the 10? There's giants. There's giants in this land. We, there's not, it's not possible. We could go overtake. You've taken us all the way up to here and we'll die by the sword in the new land is what it says in the book of Numbers. Oh, that's, how they, that's how they foresaw what was going on. But two said, no, 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 no. No, we, we can do this. We can go and we can do this. It's interesting, the perspective, that in life, when we see something ahead of us that seems to be a giant, something so big that might be very hard to deal with, we interpret everything we deal with in life based on that. Do we not? If there's hardship in front of us or something that is going to be very difficult to overcome, the way we step through our days, we start to interpretate what we can do and what we can't and the path that we might go on based on what that giant might be up ahead. 
I mean, for some of us, we just keep getting as close to the giant as we can, um, but not dealing with the giant. For some of us, I mean, we're looking for a path entirely in the opposite way. If we can go this way, I mean, we will keep working around any way we can. And then some of us, we just say, well, we'll just stay put. <laughs> we'll just stay right here. And, and that, that's how life will be. That's what's going on here. And so now, do you think that the legend of this had not spread down in the generation here? That there may not have still been talk about the giants that live in that land? And, and what's Joshua told to do now? Get up, get ready, we're heading in. We're heading in. And the lesson that, that God's teaching them is, look, when I say get up, get ready, get go, then you just go. <laughs> you just head. You don't need to process it through. You don't need to think about what happened when, when Moses sent in those 12 spies. Just get up and go. That's what I want you to do. The other thing that God is teaching him here is, look, Joshua, if you're going to be a leader here, whether, and, and same for us, whether we're, we lead in some area of our life or we're just talking about leading our, our own life, God said, it's going to require some action. <laughs> You've got to get up and go do something. We don't lead from a stationary position. We've got to get up and we've got to get out and we've got to go. I mean, think about in business how often you respect the manager or supervisor that actually you know, gets up out of the desk and comes down maybe to the assembly floor to engage or interact or even work. Um, it's the same thing. God's saying, look, Joshua, you're going to have to get up and you're going to have to go. I can't lead you into the promised land while you're still set up camp here in the wilderness. It's just, it's not going to work. It's not going to work. And so this lesson is taught to Joseph right away. Look, you're going to have to go. You're going to have action. And we find with Joshua, if you want to read the rest of the book by yourself, you know, later today or this week, you're going to find Joshua is definitely a man of action. Definitely a guy who just keeps going and doing for God. And then finally, this third one, I want to spend the remainder of our time on this because it's an interesting lesson. And we'll jump around a little bit. So if you've got your Bible, we're going to go from chapter 2 all the way to chapter 6 in here in kind of a, kind of a blitz. Um, but here's an interesting thing here that God teaches. He says this, basically. These words are not in the Bible, but I wanted to summarize these four chapters. And here's what God is basically saying. It's going to get weird, <laughs> So just trust me. It's going to get a little weird, Joshua. What I'm about to tell you, what about to happen? But just trust me. Just trust me. Uh, I know what I'm doing. I'll get you through this. Here's how it starts off is in chapter 2, we find that, that Joshua, he sends out some spies. Chapter 2, verse 1. Then Joshua, son of Nun, uh, doesn't mean he didn't have parents. All right, son of Nun. All right, I'm sorry. Sorry. There's no, there's no booing. I mean, just, it's, it's cheering, clapping, laughing, or just silence. Those are the two things. That's what your parents taught you, I know. But there's no booing. I'm joking. That deserved a boo. Then Joshua, son of Nun. You'll never think about that phrase the same again, though. The son of Nun secretly sent two spies over to Shiltam. Go, look over the land, he said, especially Jericho. So they went out and entered the house of a prostitute named Rahab and stayed there. Now, this is an odd start to, to the story anyway here. I mean, remember when they were in the wilderness, what was handed down to them? The law. The law had a thing or two to say about this sexual interaction, right? The, the law had a thing or two to say about purity. And now as the spies went out, where do they end up? They end up in the home of a prostitute. That's an odd beginning to the story here. But we find, and if you want to read this on your own, we find that, I mean, Rahab, she, she is, she's a hero in this story. 
So here, you see that when word got out that these two spies, these two men were there uh, in Jericho, all right, they came looking for him. And when they found them, or when they thought they had found them at Rahab's house, um, she actually turned and it got a, a little weirder how God worked here. She lied to the, the, the men of Jericho. She, she lied to them. And she said, oh, oh no, they're gone. They're gone. They're not, not even here anymore. Yeah, they popped in, but they're, they're not here. So they're gone. Well, all the time, I mean, they're up on the roof. They're there. She had hid them out. And so when, when the men of Jericho go away, they lower them down, and they're able to escape and head back. I mean, here God is using as a way to bring his people into, into the promised land. He uses a prostitute, and he uses a lie of the prostitute here. And, and guess, <laughs> it's, it's not extra commentary time. <laughs> Joking. Okay. So, I mean, God is using these means. This is odd. This is, this is weird that God would work this way. And then we find that because of that, because she saved them, because she even, you know, found a way using a lie, that she was saved. She was saved. Later on, and we'll find in a minute, when Jericho was destroyed, her and her family were the ones that were saved. Just an odd story. I mean, if Joshua was sitting there and God were to say, this is exactly how it's going to go down, you could see Joshua saying, this is a little odd. This is a little weird. I mean, have you ever had a situation in your own life where you just felt like God for sure is asking me to do this and to go this direction or do this thing, and you're like, it's really odd that he would be asking me to do that. And, and yet he's saying, just trust me. Just trust me. Like last week when I was talking about uh, uh, serving in the kids program, we, remember we were talking about, and, and I want to commend you on how many of our ministries got signed up for last week. So I just want to commend you. It was, it was pretty incredible. I mean, I don't know if uh, Kathy Woods will know what to do with all the names of greeters. We'll, we'll have like 17 greeters on every door every week. So, um, but for some of you, you're thinking the idea of, man, I think I should sign up for the kids. That's silly for me. <laughs> it makes no sense in my life why I would sign up for the kids. But God just prompted it in your heart, you know, to do that. And maybe you got to the sign-up sheet, or maybe you didn't. That's why I left it out there this week, because God might want to continue to speak to you. But sometimes God says, look, I've got kind of a weird plan here. Just hear me out and trust me. And that's what's happening here. Here's the second kind of weird plan. Um, God sets apart his people, we find. But he's got an interesting way of setting apart his people. Check it out in Joshua chapter 5 now. Flip a couple pages and look in verse 2. At that time, the Lord said to Joshua, Make flint knives, okay, and circumcise the Israelites again. (laughs) I don't know about, uh, I mean... So Joshua made flint lives and circumcised the Israelites. I mean, that, um, that's a bummer. Um, it's, so they, here they are, on the, they are on the cusp of taking over, the, of going into the promised land and having to deal with these giants that, you know, it's been reported are there for 40 years. They're going to have to go deal with them, and now they're going to have minor surgery out on, on the field before they head in. But you see, we find that God works in weird ways. You see, God, God sets his people apart. And this, was one, well, this is one of the things that we find in, in the law in the beginning here, that God sets his people apart uh, based on this here. And so we find this happens in the middle of the field. Yeah, I mean, it's odd because you would think that let's go take care of the battle first. And then we'll kind of take care of some of those logistics that, that kind of set us apart as being your people. 
But God is saying, look, if you're going to go out, you're going to do something great for me. If I'm going to lead you out to do something like this, rest assured, I'm going to set you up to know that you are my people, set apart, consecrated for my purposes. And that's what God's saying here. We're going to take care of this right here and now. Read the scripture. I mean, you'll see it here. If you're a guy, you'll cringe a little bit as you read it. You'll even see it says there that they had to take a break and recuperate and to heal up. You know, it didn't just, you know, circumcision, then they went right into it that afternoon. The Bible actually says it's a weird type of timing for God to work. But what God is communicating with his people, and I believe he's communicating it to us today, that if you want to do something great for God, if you want God to lead you on a path, then let him consecrate you. Let him set you apart. Let him come to you and say, you are mine. You know, I love you. Surrender your life before me. Let's go. Let's do this thing. Sometimes, even as believers, I think we get out in front of it sometimes, and we think, I'm ready to go do this great thing for God. But we've never really allowed God just to say, look, I'm setting you apart. You know, I'm letting you know my spirit is upon you. Now, rest in me, receive of me, and then we'll go and we'll get done the work that we need to get done. An odd little story. And then finally, uh, the story that's most popular, you probably know it even. It's found in Joshua chapter 6, if you flip one more chapter. Starting in verse 2, the Lord said to Joshua, See, I have delivered Jericho into your hands, along with its kings and its fighting men. March around the city once with all the armed men. Do this for six days. Now, that would be a little confusing to him right there. March around for six days. But you might be thinking, all right, God's got this intimidation strategy. That's what's going on. We're going to march around with all the armed people for six days. And they're going to look at it and go, whoa, you know, I don't know. Can we fight this group? Well, if you really break down the numbers, <laughs> probably they weren't saying that. They were probably well outmanned here. But they're walking around uh, uh, for six days. We pick it up in verse 4. Have several priests carry trumpets of ram's horn in front of the ark. Now, that wouldn't have been too odd to have your, your trumpeteers go out in front and, and signal that you're coming. Now, on the seventh day, it gets a little weird. March around the city seven times with the priests blowing the trumpets. When you hear them sound a long blast of the trumpets... Have all the people give a loud shout. Then the wall of the city will collapse and the people will go away every man straight, or will go up every man straight in. Now that is odd. And notice on this one, God is actually giving Joshua the story in advance. I mean, he's telling him, here's the strategy. Here's what we're going to do. You're going to march for six days with all the armed men. Joshua might be saying, all right, sounds good. I think we're a little out man, but we'll go do that, Lord. You know, you're going to have your priest blast the trumpets. That's great. Intimidation will blast those trumpets like we're really coming in hot and heavy. And then on the seventh day, you're going to do the same thing. Seven times, though. Just keep, just keep going around. Just keep going around. And Joshua, okay, we're going to confuse them a little. They won't know when we're coming in. And then I want you to stop and yell. Just yell. And the walls are going to fall down. That probably would be the point you would lose, Joshua. So, hmm. Okay, this is a little odd strategy that you have. God is teaching him a lesson right now. He's telling him, look, it's going to get weird, but just trust me, God wins by his strategy. That's what he's saying here. Look, I have a strategy on how I'm going to accomplish this, and guess what? I am going to win. If you read the story and you follow through, you'll find it happened exactly the way that God said to them. The walls fell. Maybe you grew up singing the little, you know, the walls came tumbling down type of song. Yeah. Would you like me to sing it right now? No? Okay. Good. Good. There is a vote later. I will not sing it. I will not sing. Um, 
but, but I didn't even learn it until college. It wasn't even a kid's song, and I sang it. So, but that's what's happening here. God wins by his strategy. Let me tell you uh, uh, an example of how this plays out today. God has basically said, here is going to be my great marketing campaign to spread the gospel. I would like to ask you to surrender your life to me as Lord and Savior. I'm going to transform your life. I'm going to make it new. It's going to be incredible. And then I would like you by word of mouth to go out and share that with other people. Period. That's it. (laughs) That's all I'm going to do. That's my whole game plan to spread the gospel. That's what we're going to do. Well, God, what, what do you think about it? I mean, we're, we're in a media savage age. What do you think about, you know, movies and commercials and creative things like this? Maybe a big campaign. They've got these uh, signs up now that, you know, the, the big uh, on the freeway that actually are big, you know, screens that keep changing. What about something cool like that, Lord? God says, no, I'm not really into that. Oh, I would like for you to have your life transformed. And then I would like you to go share with some other people about what God did in your life. And that's it. That's my marketing campaign. I don't know about you, but that, that would seem a little weird. If we were in kind of a board-style meeting and talking about marketing, I don't know if we'd just say, hey, total word of mouth. That's all we're going to do. Nothing. Nothing else. Just word of mouth. In fact, the little cards that we hand out for like Christmas and Easter and those type of things, which we have those uh, in print for you, even those cards, when we give them to you, we ask of you, if you're going to go hand out their cards, hand out as many as you want, only one requirement. Converse with them. Have a conversation with them. Actually verbally say, hey, this is what's going on. We'd love for you to come and be a part of it. No just handing out. <laughs> no just flipping out just like that. Actually hand them to them. Have a little conversation. God's plan, he wins by his strategy. He wins. And you know how I know he wins? It's because I can sit with many of you that uh, I couldn't sit with two years ago because you weren't here. And you can share with me your testimony about how the Lord transformed your life. And then I'd say, well, how did you even come into that? How did you even know about that? And then you turn and you point and you talk to somebody else. Somebody else at Windover Hills that told you about it. Or somebody else you met at another church or a Christian function or something. And they told you about it. Or somebody you work with said that, that you, you know, go here or something had happened in your life. And you have these testimonies you share. God wins with his strategy. That's what he's teaching Joshua here. All this sounds awfully weird. I'm going to use a prostitute, a lie. We're going to circumcise you right out before you're going to go into the battle. And uh, now we learned at the end, you know, they, they didn't have to fight there. So circumcision sounded right. But uh, then I'm, you're going to win by your strategy. God's going to say, even by your yelling voices, I can take this battle and I can win this battle. This morning, um, this would be the takeaway as, we're, as we finish up here. Um, these lessons for Joshua, I will be with you, is what God's saying. I believe this morning God wants to remind his followers that I'm with you. Anyway, the good and the bad. When you've blown it and screwed up, when you've had circumstances that you had nothing to do with, I am with you. I'm walking with you right now. I never turned away from you. So if you've turned away, time to take inventory and maybe turn back. He's also saying, get ready, get set, go. That this morning he might be telling you, look, I've been talking to you. We've been conversing. But the only thing that's lacked is you've not got up and moved. You've not got up and done it. You've not got up and gone and talked to that person about me. Or you've not got up and served in that ministry. Or you've not launched that thing that's in your heart to be a part of. Just get up and go do it. Go do it. It requires some action uh, for us. And then finally, I believe he's talking to us just the same way. That sometimes it gets a little weird but just trust me. Just trust me. You know, sometimes when God, you know, hits us with something, you know, you're driving by and there's, you know, somebody in the corner and God just hits you with it. You know, I'm going to give that person 
way more than I would ever normally think. I'm, I'm going to offer that person something. It just sounds weird for a moment. But God wins by his strategy. He wins in the end. And so the takeaway this morning, that if you are like these people, and you've lived for 40 years, or you've lived a long time with the idea that whatever ahead of me, it is a giant, and I don't know if I have any way to get past that whatsoever. And so your strategy has been work your way around it, go up as close as you can without getting there, or just staying put. This morning, the, the takeaway would be this. God, just like he spoke these three things to Joshua, God's saying to you this morning, I am bigger than your giants, bigger than whatever's in front of you. Take the lessons that I taught to Joshua, put them into your own life, and this week you can find victory as well because I am bigger than your giants. You don't have to live with it. In fact, it's just legend, just like, just like the people here. It's just legend. It's not even real. I'll overtake them and I'll show you how. Well, let me pray for you in this area, and, and uh, if there's something particular that you're saying, man, those areas hit me perfect, I would just encourage you. This is a great time as I'm praying for you to pray before God, but if this week you thought, you know, I, I'd love to process something with you, Tom, and talk with you, um, or I'd like you to come out and talk with me, just use the card that's in front of you to, to connect with us and tell me what that is, and we'd love to spend time with you and, then, and be able to, to process a little deeper what God might be doing in your life. So, sound good? All right, good. Let's pray. Father, we uh, thank you for this morning. Thank you for the story of Joshua. And Lord, I confess as I was, as I was planning this and working on it, I looked at the story of Joshua and I just said, God, I heard it a hundred times. Don't really know what new thing you can offer in this one. And Lord, I walked away at the end of the week and I, it really hit home with me that you will win by your strategy. Lord, it may be a different aspect of the story that hit somebody else sitting out here this morning. Lord, I want to just pray that they could wrap their arms around and claim it, claim victory in it with you this morning. Lord, I want to especially pray for the person, Lord, that has thought, thought you were the one that forsake them, that, that went away. But your scripture reminded us this morning that, no, you're right there. And it might be us that turned our back. And, Lord, there might be just several people that need to just metaphorically turn around and face you once again. Open up dialogue and talk with you. Surrender before you. I pray that would happen this morning, Lord, even right now as I'm praying. Lord, I also, as, as I finish this prayer, Lord, I want to just pray for the one person, Lord, that maybe has never said yes to you as their Savior. And when they hear about somebody like Joshua and they think, you know, Joshua had something that I don't have, could they know, Lord, it's because they were walking with you. And maybe there's somebody this morning that they're ready to surrender their life and just said, I've been walking on my own, I've been doing my own thing, it's time for me to surrender my life and, and walk with God. I want to be like, like these Christians that follow God. That's what I need in my life. You can do it. You can just surrender your life right now. Just saying, Lord, forgive me of my sins. Forgive me of going my own ways. I surrender my life to you. I want you to be the Lord of my life. Come into my life. And if you pray that small prayer like that, either those exact words or something close, in an instant, in an instant, you're his. If you did that this morning, just know that you are a child of God. And so, Lord, uh, go with us this week. Lord, there's so many things that we're dealing with, and there might be new things that, that surface even as soon as this afternoon. And I just pray, Lord, that we would walk boldly with you, knowing that you are bigger than any giants in front of us. We pray it in your son's name. Amen.